We're going to open up John chapter 9, and then I'm going to speak to someone with an amazing book about Harry Truman being Cyrus. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome, welcome to our Thoroughly Jewish Thursday broadcast, 71st anniversary of Israel. Yes, in recent days, bombarded by rockets from Hamas, 700 rockets concerned that it's being underwritten by Iran. Four Jewish men, women killed. Uh, older man in his home, known, some of my friends knew him, used to buy stuff from him over the years, and gone, killed by these attacks. And of course, Israel responding with intensity. Where will it lead next? We'll talk about that. But also take your Jewish-related calls, 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7884. So if it's Jewish-related, relating to the Jewish people, relating to the Hebrew scriptures, Jewish Jewish literature, Hebrew language, Israel today, that's kosher for Thoroughly Jewish Thursday, 866-34-TRUTH. If you differ with me on some of the positions I've taken, some of the things we've said about Noahide laws, some of the things that we have said about anti-Semitism, by all means, give me a call. We're also going to look at John 9, and then at the bottom of the hour, I'm going to bring on with me Dr. Craig Von Busick, and he's written an amazing book. It, it really is a fascinating book, I Am Cyrus, about President Harry Truman. Yeah, so we'll be bringing him on. But before we go to the phones... Before we talk about Israel today, let's go to John, the ninth chapter. Why John, the ninth chapter? Because we are told that John, the ninth chapter, pictures the Jews in a hostile sense. And when I had Catholic scholar E. Michael Jones on with me a few weeks back, he alleged that something has now shifted in John 9 because the Jewish parents of the Jewish man born blind are afraid of the Jews, the Jews showing that there is now a, a shifting that the Jews are somehow associated with being evil, antichrist, etc. So the Jewish parents are not identified as Jews. The man born blind is not identified as a Jew, but the Jews. And I said, well, what it really means is the Jewish leaders, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem, as other top scholars recognize that was dismissed by Dr. Jones. Let's take a look in John 9. All right, let's look at the text together. So, we, we know what happens at the start, right? That Jesus comes uh, across a man born blind. It's the Sabbath, and Jesus is going to show how the Jewish traditions are in violation of the Sabbath by healing a blind man on the Sabbath. And the way he does it is, is he takes dirt, spits on it, turns it into mud, puts it on the man's eyes. So that broke two Jewish traditions about the Sabbath. We know they're in writing a couple hundred years later, but we believe they were current at that time. One, that you are kneading, right? So, so taking dirt and making it into mud, that's like kneading it. That's one. And then two is that uh, he's applying it medicinally. So both of those would be forbidden on the Sabbath, especially in a non-emergency situation. 
So Yeshua heals him. Notice he's referred to as rabbi by his disciples. They ask him who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind. Yeshua says, not this man, not that he sinned, not that his parents sinned, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. All right, so he goes on teaching and instructing. He then makes the mud with saliva. He anoints the man's eyes with mud. He tells him to go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. As he goes and washes, he comes back seeing. So these are all Jews here, right? It's on the Sabbath. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Others say, no, it's like him. He said, no, 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 I'm, I'm the man. I'm the guy. I'm the guy. All right. I'm, I'm the guy that was, that was healed here. So they said to him, then, how are your eyes open? The man called Yeshua made mud, anointed my eyes. So, so they go around. Okay. Now, what does it say in verse 13? They brought to the, who? The Pharisees, the Prushim in Hebrew. They brought to the Pharisees, the man who had been formerly blind. It was a Sabbath day when, when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. All right. Uh, so now they're asking him, okay, well, uh, how, how'd you do this? Cause it's, it's the Sabbath and you're not supposed to be doing this on the Sabbath. And, and hang on, if, if somebody did it on the Sabbath, then they're working on the Sabbath. So uh, if they're working on the Sabbath then they're sinning, so how could a sinner, uh, how could a sinner do this? So now this is the, the controversy that we're getting into. All right. So let me read to you from the TLV, uh, verse 15. So again, the Pharisees were asking him how he received his sight. He responded, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. So some of the Pharisees, again, how many times are we seeing Pharisees here? Began saying, this man isn't from God because he doesn't keep Shabbat, doesn't keep the Sabbath. So those were saying, how can a sinner perform such signs? So there was a split among them. That's why Yeshua did it on a Sabbath, to bring this controversy up to light and to show how their traditions were getting in the way of the word of God. Again, they, the Pharisees, say to the blind man, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he said, he's a prophet. Now, the TLV says, so the Judean leaders didn't believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they called his parents. Now, most other translations say the Jews. The NLT says the Jewish leaders. The NET says the Jewish religious leaders. Why? Because they recognize here they understand that these are the Pharisees being spoken of and that a legitimate and right way to translate the Greek uh, word for the Jews there is the Jewish religious leaders. Sometimes it can mean the Jews of Judea. It's literally Judeans. And sometimes it can mean the Jewish religious leaders. That is a right translation. Here, the, the TLV says, so the Judean leaders didn't believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they called his parents. They questioned them, is this your son whom you say was born blind? Then how does he see now? His parents answered, we know it's our son, etc." All right, so a count goes down, and it says in verse 22, his parents said this because they, uh, we don't really know what happened, because they were afraid of the Judean leaders, for the Judean leaders had already agreed that anyone who professed Yeshua to be Messiah would be thrown out of the synagogue. And again, the NET, his parents said these things because they were afraid of the Jewish religious leaders, the Jewish leaders had already agreed that anyone who confessed Jesus to be the Christ would be put out of the synagogue, anyone who professed him to be the Messiah. And we, we have again, as the chapter goes on, we have reference to the Pharisees again at the end of the chapter. So 
we know who's involved here. We, we know who's being dealt with, who's being addressed. Okay. Um, at the end of the chapter, uh, verse 35, Yeshua heard that they had thrown him out. Uh, finding him, he said, do you believe uh, in the Son of Man? The man answered, who is he, sir? Tell me so I may believe in him. Yeshua said, you've seen him. He's the one speaking with you. He said, Lord, I believe. And then Yeshua goes on, for judgment I came into this world so that those who, see, who don't see may see and the ones who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and said, and, and asked, we're not blind, are we? Yeshua said to them, if you were blind, you would not have sin. But now you say we see, so your sin remains. Okay, so you have a conflict between Jesus and the religious leaders, Jesus and the Pharisees. And it was understood, those who read Greek and understood Greek and understood that this was an internal Jewish polemic, they could nuance the meaning. Later readers can't nuance the meaning, so a good, responsible translator will indicate that in the translation. Otherwise, it will be used to demonize the whole people, whereas this is a Jewish account about a Jewish Messiah who's already said earlier in the book, John 4.22, that salvation is from the Jews. This is a Jewish man being healed with Jewish parents and a Jewish crowd. So it's the, when it says that the Jews said whoever confessed Jesus as Messiah would put, be put out of the synagogue, who had, who had the power to do that? The religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders, or the Judean leaders. Say it either of those two ways, and that would be accurate, and that would be good, and that would be fair. So all we're trying to do is apply good, sound scholarship to avoid misunderstanding, because we've seen what happens with that misunderstanding. Is it pretty clear from the text as you read it through? All right, 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to Nick in Ohio. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. You're welcome. All right. Go ahead. My question is, you can hear me? Yeah. My question is about uh, the Midianites and the Amalekites. And I've been mm-hmm. studying the Old Testament for a while, and I'm a little bit confused because it seems to me that there are two camps when it comes to looking at the Scripture, when it comes to um, God commanding the Israelites to go out and to completely destroy the Amalekites leave nothing behind, kill women and children and all that. And also we can see the same thing being told in the Canaanites to go out and to completely destroy them. And some people will say that, like Paul Copen has argued in his book, Is God a Moral Monster?, which I have read. And he says that it is a use of hyperbolic expression. And however, I'm not entirely sure how I feel about that because I feel like it's whitewashing the text because it seems to me that in Deuteronomy 20, 14 through 17, it's referring to um, at 16 through 17, they'll say completely destroy the Canaanites. And I don't know if it mentions the the Canaanites and the Jebusites and all that, but the verses 14 through 15, they don't take that as hyperbole at all. So it kind of makes me think that these people that are saying that it's hyperbolic expression is trying to have their cake and eat it too and is doing a little bit of cherry picking. So, yeah, so let, I let me to say a little bit of, yeah. yeah. Let, let me say a couple of things. Uh, Dr. Kolpanza is a careful student of the word and a careful scholar and is just trying to look at the text because we know from Joshua and Judges that, that the Israelites didn't drive a lot of people out. And they live side by side right. for generations. But 
let let's ju- let's just say that there was some hyperbole. That to me doesn't lessen the moral question. In other words, okay. if you killed a lot of the women and children, as opposed to all the women and children, if you killed some of the babies, as a, as opposed to all the babies, to me the the moral problem is just as as serious and just as deep. So let's let's address what we do know that many were put to death including children including women including men and this ostensibly at the command of god how do we deal with that how do we explain it i'll i'll respond to that on the other side of the break nick thanks for the call The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome, friends, to the Thursday edition of The Line of Fire. That means it is Thoroughly Jewish Thursday. Delighted to be with you on the 71st anniversary of Israel. We'll come back to Israel in a moment, but um, back to Nick in Ohio. Have you read David Lamb's book, God Behaving Badly? I've heard of it, but I have not read it yet now. Yeah, I, I found his to be very fair, really wrestling with the text as well. So along with Dr. Copan's book, there was a book edited by Tremper Longman a few years ago on different views of the call to, to kill the Canaanites exterminate the Canaanites. And then, of course, there's John Walton's book with his his son. Uh, it's also John Walton, I think, just different middle initials, I believe. But they have a different take. They claim that the, the call was to drive out, not exterminate, that that's the right way right. to understand the harem, and that there is also hyperbole in it. But let's let's just say for sure a lot of people were put to death, and not all of them were military combatants. And, and why would right. that be? So we know it was a, a one-time only in terms of the conquest of Canaan and then specifically Midian because of their seduction and trying to destroy Israel. And then the Amalekites, the same thing going back to Exodus 17. And as, as difficult as it would be for us to look at this, I mean, it looks like, isn't that what ISIS does? Uh, I think we right. first need to look at it and wrestle with it. In other words, don't just dismiss it. I have great respect for John Piper John Piper's answer is God can kill whoever he wants, whenever he wants, and he's perfectly justified in doing it. So I I appreciate that perspective in terms of human guilt and divine prerogative, but we know that God doesn't murder. We understand that. He puts to death, but he doesn't murder. So I think we need to wrestle with it first. If we don't wrestle with it, we're not being realistic. My understanding has always been this, that the ultimate goal of God was the salvation of the human race. For the salvation of the human race, there needed to be a people set apart through whom the Messiah could come and who would then take that message and bring it to the world. If Jesus came, came to India 2,000 years ago, we wouldn't know about it today. He'd just be another incarnation of Krishna or some holy man or whatever. But there would not have right. been the uh, right. So God had to preserve a people. And Israel, the Jewish people, barely made it, judged over and over and over again. It's as if cancer had spread through the whole body. And 
barely, there was a remnant enough to receive the Messiah and then to make him known to the nations of the world. So I look at it that in the knowledge of God, intermarriage with any of these people, taking their children in, raising them, would have opened the further door for the pollution of the people. They're further being led into idolatry. And with that, the destruction of the nation and therefore no savior and no salvation for the human race. To me, as painful as it is, it strikes me as like amputating a limb or amputating four limbs because otherwise the patient won't survive. Let Let me add two other things. As for the state of children who die as children, I I do not believe that they are automatically damned to hell, that I do believe that there is an innocence there so that as tragic as it would be to see them killed, they could still be accepted in God's heavenly kingdom. And others believe that there was a lot of intermingling that you had descendants of of the Nephilim there, in other words, from the intermarriage of angels and human beings, and that they had to be exterminated because they were, uh, that's a Michael Heiser position, uh, and others hold to that as well, so that it was basically a, a mixed breed that, was, that they could not intermarry with without their own destruction. So to me, as, as harsh as it seems, there were valid reasons that God gave for this, without which his mercy could not have come to the world. So kind of an extreme measure like amputation. And even if some of these other scholars can show, well, there are fortress cities here, or there is driving out as well, or there is a little hyperbole. It's still a, a very intense event, very overwhelming, morally difficult, but that's my best moral understanding. And also one thing I'd like to add on to that is that it does mention in Exodus, I can't give you the exact verse, but it mentions that um, there will be warfare between a God and um, the Lord and an Amal- and Amalek from generation to generation, and one thing that I can understand when it comes to the Amalekites is that they were deliberately attacking Israel when they were leaving Egypt, and they were, you know, they were leaving that form of bondage. And if those, even, and, you know, like being a Westerner just like you, not living in the ancient Near East thousands of years ago, um, it's a tough pill to swallow for us, I think, to, for um, him to command to kill the children. But one thing that we have to consider is that those children would have risen up and they would have done exactly as their forefathers have done, which they right. have the, done. Right, and especially, so, right, there's yeah. something spiritually in them, something in, in the blood, you know, the whole Nephilim possibility. But otherwise, look, you, you have terrorist children with ISIS. You, you have people that are corrupted at very, very early ages. So, yes, as harsh as it was, it, it was necessary be done for the for the good of humanity so we're we're tracking together on that nick and thank you for raising it and and wrestling with it much appreciated and there's a lot more to say there's a lot more to say but this as far as we can go here thank you 866-34-TRUTH bob in philadelphia welcome to the line of fire hello how are you i like your show i like your show and you are a voice of reason it's good to hear someone who uh, you obviously are very uh, informed. I don't know what your educational background is, but you are very informed and, and uh, I'm, I'm kind of praising you, but um, you seem uh, like you're very uh, rational. Well, thank so you. That's a compliment. We, 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 but, we do, do our best. Go ahead with your question. 
I um, I think about this a lot. Um, uh, I don't know if you are familiar with Memory. It's the middle. Of course, East. yeah. Mem- MemoryTV.org. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. I love it, and uh, I see what the um, Moas in Iran are up to, and I think a lot of the conflict that we have in the East and in Europe, I think it's coming from the Moas. And from the Iranians, I think they are trying to survive because they are real fanatics, and they are doing whatever they can. I was amazed that um, in uh, in Gaza, which is controlled by, in my opinion, controlled by Iran, uh, it came out that the uh, Iranians are the ones who are who decided to lob these missiles into Israel. Yes, yeah, so so Bob, yeah, let, me, let me just let, let me, yes. yeah, let me weigh Please. in with a few things. Uh, when Ayatollah Khomeini was exiled by the Shah of Iran, he was exiled in France, and would would preach these messages, which were then recorded on cassette tape. They were then smuggled into Iran, and distributed to the mullahs, to the Iranian clerics, the Muslim clerics, and they would preach basically his sermons on Fridays in the mosques. And it stirred up such a frenzy among the people that the Shah of Iran, with his secret police and with his strong military, he ruled with an iron hand, that he had to flee for his life before Khomeini even arrived back in the country. So Khomeini really is the mastermind behind this this rise of radical Islam that we've seen in the last generation. You know, you can date it back to the late 1970s. And, And yes, there is a pushback against this in Iran. A difficult economic situation, things like that, people resisting the fundamentalism, many of the Muslims converting to Christianity. And Iran is a chief exporter of terror and disruption in the Middle East and in other parts of the world. If folks go to memory, that's M-E-M-R-I-T-V dot org, you can, you can actually watch because somehow Israel's got, either they're getting it from Iranian TV or Hamas TV or things like that, or they've got, they've got uh, ways to record. But you'll actually hear the sermons, the Jew-hating sermons right. and the Kill Israel sermons and, and the Death to America sermons. They're you know, preached in Syria and preached in, in mosques in, in, in Gaza, etc. It's, it's really, it's, it's striking stuff. Yes, yeah, so, and... and they're every, definitely uh, every, fueling a lot of the fires, no question about it. Dr. Every uh, day, the Iranian mullahs are saying the worst things like destroy England, uh, death to France. It's not just Israel. Death to Russia, death to America. And I don't know if the public, you know, the public is very, uh, they tend to think highly of, uh, we're told, you know, everyone is nice and everyone's great and all that. But the Iranians really are like, in my opinion, are like uh, the, you know, the Axis power. Yeah, they are, they are provocateurs. They are major provocateurs, provocateurs Bob. Yes. Yeah, and, and let me just say this. Obviously, we, we want to pray for the salvation of the Iranian people, for more of, more of them to turn to the Lord. Uh, but we, we've got to recognize who we're dealing with. That's why President Trump was right to break the agreement with Iran. And that's why President Obama was tragically wrong to enter into it. Not only so, but to reward Iran with hundreds of billions of dollars that they were then going to turn around and, and put 
money right back into terrorism. So, yeah, uh, we need to understand who they are, what they stand for. And, of course, there are decent Iranians and, and there are decent Islamic Iranians. And not all of them are fanatical or bent on evil and hatred. But you just, you just Google it. Jerusalem Day celebration in Iran. And, and watch the flags being burned and watch the chanting. And that's, that's some of the sentiment that's out there. And, and many lives are being taken because of it. They're, they're a key force of instability in the Middle East and beyond. So, Bob, I agree with you, and I appreciate the kind words. we got a break, but thank you for the call. We come back. I'll be talking with Dr. Craig from Dusek about his book on Harry Truman, I Am Cyrus. It, it reads like a novel, but it's true. Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Tikva, the Israeli national anthem, powerful to hear it sung. Some words of life and beauty, others it stirs up anger and hatred. Glad to see comments from an Iranian Christian on our YouTube chat of love for Israel forever, but can't change the government. Maybe that government will change. Hey, friends, Michael Brown here in our Thoroughly Jewish Thursday broadcast. Last week, I was scheduled to have on with me author of a brand new book, Dr. Craig von Busick, his book, I am Cyrus. It's, it's a story of Harry Truman. He was scheduled to be on our entire team knew it. I completely overlooked it and our team overlooked it. So my profound apologies to Dr. Von Busick. This is, this is an amazing book reads like a novel, but it's a true story. So I'm so glad we could reschedule one week later, but First, my apologies, sir. Thanks for, for rejoining us today. Oh, it's my pleasure, and perhaps it's providential that we speak today as Israel is celebrating 71 years of existence. Oh, yeah, ab- absolutely. Struck me like that as well. Thanks you for being so gracious. So, uh, Craig, how did you stumble this? You've been in Christian media for years, worked with CBN, worked with Inspiration Network. You've had a heart for Israel. But, you know, a lot of a lot of Christians today know that, that there were people saying Donald Trump is like a Cyrus figure. And even though he doesn't know the Lord, God's going to use him to 
to bless Israel and the Jewish people. But he's he's the second guy to be known like that. There was there was a more prominent one. Uh, that was Harry Truman. How did you stumble on the story? Well, way back in 1988, a friend gave me a, a cassette. That's how far back we're going from Friends of Israel, and it told the story about Harry S. Truman and his Jewish business partner, Eddie Jacobson, and how they had had a men's clothing store together in Kansas City that did very well at first, and then unfortunately there was a post-war recession right after World War One, and they were not able to survive, but they remained friends all the way through their lives. And Harry started on a political career that amazingly led him into the White House, stepping into the shoes of none other than Franklin Delano Roosevelt, of all people. And here's Harry Truman, never went to college, failed businessman, failed farmer, and president of the United States in the height of World War II and in the aftermath of World War II. And so here this man had to make incredible decisions, um, but he had some things going for him. For one, uh, he wore Coke bottle glasses, you know, those really thick glasses, because without them, he was almost blind. And so his parents told him, listen, we don't have the money for more glasses, so you can't play football, you can't roughhouse, you got to read and learn to play the piano. And so throughout his life, Harry Truman read history, biography, and he read through the Bible six or seven times. And so he was one of the most prepared people to ever enter the White House because he understood history, but also as he was uh, called upon to make decisions about the 1.5 million displaced Jews who had survived the Holocaust. You know, we talk about the 6 million who were killed. There were 1.5 uh, million who were left in the concentration camps after the war. They didn't want to go home. They were afraid to go home. They didn't want to stay in Europe because the Europeans had killed their brothers and sisters. And when the United States Army uh, did a poll, more than 90% of them said, we want to go back to our homeland, to our promised land, Eretz Israel. And of course, as you know, the British were there with the mandate that was given to them after World War One, and they didn't want to let the Jews in. So it came to uh, this pressure cooker, and it fell to Harry Truman to be kind of the tipping point to decide what's going to happen. All and, right. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Yes, just jump in. Again, friends, the book I Am Cyrus by Craig von Busick, B-U-S-E-K. I wrote an endorsement for the book, and as I said it, read like a novel, but you did the historical research and background to it. So help us understand something. We now look back at the Holocaust. We, we understand the monstrous evil it was. The whole thing is clear to us from the beginning. But the Western world didn't know everything that was happening until things really unfolded in certain ways until the end. And then many of us have grown up in an environment where the evangelical church in America is strongly pro-Israel, etc., what was the environment then when when, Henry, when Harry Truman is in the White House and now we are 1947, 48, and the possibility of Israel being recognized by the U.N. as a nation, the whole partition plan? What, what was the atmosphere in America? How much did Americans know about the Holocaust? How much sympathy was there for Israel and the Jewish people? Paint a picture for us. Well, it was a mixed bag, uh, as it's a mixed bag today. Um, but primarily the... Um, the advisors of Harry S. Truman were telling him, do not recognize the nation of Israel. We are facing the, a possible World War III against the Soviets, and we need Arab oil. 
And so his Secretary of State was none other than General George C. Marshall of the famous Marshall Plan. And Marshall was staunchly against recognizing the nation of Israel. And so you had all this pressure, and uh, there were evangelicals and, of course, the Jewish community uh, that were in favor of this and that were praying for for the president. But the president was under so much pressure that he slammed the door shut to the White House. He said, I'm not going to listen to anyone. And this was just before the pivotal vote in the United Nations on whether there would be partition and whether the Jews, the Zionists, would receive a homeland. And the Zionists were in a panic because they didn't know what Truman's decision would be, and no one was allowed in. And so they found out that he had this Jewish best friend who was his former business partner, and they called him in the middle of the night. They woke him up and said, you've got to get to the White House, (laughs) and you need to let Truman know that he needs to see Haim Wiseman. As you know, the first president of Israel, kind of, for those who don't know him, he was kind of the Benjamin Franklin of the Zionist movement, the great ambassador, the great diplomat. And he was waiting in New York City to see Truman, and Truman wouldn't see him. And so Eddie Jacobson, Truman's business partner, paid his own way, got on a a flight, flew to the White House, walked in unannounced, and said, I'm here to see the president. And the the secretary said, well, that's fine as long as you don't talk about the Jews or Palestine. And Eddie said, well, that's the whole reason that I'm here. And he went into that room, and he basically pled and begged the president that he needed to see and speak with Heim Wiseman. Truman said, there's no way. I'm not talking to anyone. And it actually brought tears to Eddie's eyes, and he thought, what what can I do? The president right now is the biggest anti-Semite in the whole world. And then he saw this statue of Andrew Jackson on Truman's desk, and he said, you know, Harry, you've always talked about your hero, Andrew Jackson. Do you know who my hero is? And Harry said, no, who? And he said, my hero is Heim Wiseman. He's an old man. He's ill. He's almost blind, and he came here just to see you, and you won't see him because some of our other Jewish leaders were rude to you? That doesn't sound like you, Harry. I thought you could take the heat. (laughs) Mm. So Harry turned around and looked out the window at the White House lawn. He's tapping his fingers on the desk, and finally he turned around and he said, all right, you bald-headed blankety-blank, call Heim Wiseman and get him in here. And they snuck him in. No one knew that he was there, but that was the tipping point. Wiseman helped to... uh, help Harry to come to a decision. And so this day, uh, uh, 71 years ago, when Israel became a nation, at midnight, uh, Harry Truman was informing the UN representatives in New York City that they were to recognize Israel. And so the United States, 11 minutes past midnight, became the first nation to recognize the nation of Israel. And that's why uh, Rabbi Herzog, a year later, said, Harry, you are a modern-day Cyrus. Mm. And so Harry Truman had read scripture. He understood what the reference was in Isaiah 44 and 45 to a, to a Persian king named Cyrus, who God says he doesn't know me, and yet I've raised him up. So here Harry Truman had more Bible background, so he understood the significance of that. Now, now Craig, you spent years, like five years, researching this. So you got to know things well enough that you can present things as a storyteller. Do we know what happened when Chaim Weizmann sat down with Harry Truman? Uh, it's in the book, and uh, and Truman actually shared a little bit of it. You know, these are 
Truman was a very private person, and so there were things that he wouldn't share. Um, but what he did share, years later, around 1960, he, I saw a, a video clip of him. I went to the uh, Truman Library there in outside of Kansas City in Independence, Missouri, and I saw this clip where he said, Heim Wiseman came, and we had a good talk, and then we called Eddie back in, his friend Eddie Jacobson, and and uh, after several minutes of talking, he said, well, you two Jews put it over on me, and I'm glad you have. So <laughs> that's a direct quote from President Truman. Remarkable. You two Jews put it over on me, and I'm glad you have. All right, so what did he have to overcome, not just in his own heart or maybe some resentment towards these other Jewish leaders, but within his own government? How difficult was it to push through and say, we're going to recognize Israel? It was overwhelming. The State Department not only was against this, but they actually undermined Truman. And uh, Truman did not come right out and say this, but all of the literature supports the fact that the the uh, State Department uh, undercut him and introduced a proposal in the United Nations uh, for a trusteeship instead of a, a nation. And this was the day after Harry Truman met with Heim Wiseman, and Truman called in Clark Clifford, who was one of his top legal advisors, and he said, Dr. Wiseman must think I'm a bald-faced liar, because they're doing exactly what I told Wiseman I wouldn't do. And so Truman called in uh, Secretary Marshall and said, how did this happen? He said, I don't know how it happened. Stay right, stay right there. Stay right there. We'll come back on the other side of the book. The new, on the other side of the break, the new book, I Am Cyrus. Trust me, it is a fascinating journey, an amazing read. Harry Truman and the Birth of Israel, the Rebirth. It's The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into the line of fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Hey friends, welcome to the line of fire on this Thirdly Jewish Thursday. I'm speaking with Dr. Craig Von Busick on the 71st anniversary of Israel his book, a timely book, I Am Cyrus, Harry S. Truman, and the Rebirth of Israel. So, Craig, right before the break, you were talking about some of the opposition in the government that President Truman had to overcome. But there's also been a lot of misinformation since, since he took a stand for Israel. So clear that up for us. Absolutely. Um, you know, this was... Uh the government of the United States coming against their own president. Does that sound familiar? Uh -huh. um, and um, so Truman uh, took that bold stand, and, and he reversed that, and he instructed his representatives to vote in favor of partition. But ever since then, uh, while, it, while the United States officially calls itself pro-Israel, we've gone back and forth uh, on whether or not we're really truly going to support Israel. Uh, it's, it's heartening to see that our current president has uh, been very strong in his support of Israel, moving our United States embassy to Jerusalem and just recently uh, recognizing the Golan Heights. 
and uh, and yet there is a tremendous um, force uh, that has been anti-Semitic, even as we're seeing in the Congress with different voices who have been speaking uh, in a shocking way uh, in uh, in anti-Semitism. So it's something that you and I, uh, and you do it so well, and I'm so honored to be on your program, uh, but this is the kind of thing that we cannot stop being vigilant to get the truth out about the fact that this is God's promised land, that the Jews were indigenous for 3,000 years. I mean, you talk about other nations that have a similar background, that would be Egypt, that would be uh, India and China, not many others. So Israel, the Jews have been in that land all that time. Yes, they were pushed out by the Romans, but every year they said, next year in Jerusalem, it was like a homing beacon. That was their land, and they tried to get back in, but they were kept out. And when they finally could get back in, when the door finally opened, when it was finally God's time, they poured in in droves and in waves and have brought that place back to life as the prophecy has foretold. It's an amazing story. It, it, it really is. And I wasn't able to get through all the book in time uh, when, when uh, I gave an endorsement. So I, I looked through all of it. And then I dug in as deeply as I could. My only regret was I didn't get to finish it. So the, the good news is I get to finish it because, like I said, it was it was like reading a novel, but you got 1,200 endnotes to, to back things up. So you spent years and years researching and then writing, putting this together. Why is it so important for us to know this story today? Well, as Winston Churchill uh, pointed out, he was always very pro-Jewish and uh, had many friends who were Jewish, and he was very much in favor of a homeland for the Jews in Israel. And he said, as people support Israel, so God will bless them. But he also said, as a nation will support Israel, God will, su will bless that nation. And as long as we continue to obey God's word to bless the people of Israel, we will continue with his blessing and his protection. But if we turn our backs on that, and if we turn our backs on our friends in Israel, uh, one of the staunchest allies we have in the world, then we will not receive that blessing. So we want to continue to pray for the peace of Jerusalem and support our friends in Israel. And from other readers of the book, what are you hearing from folks that have read I Am Cyrus? Well, I've been very pleased. Uh, different folks uh, like Gordon Robertson wrote the foreword, and um, other people who have, you know, who know about Israel, like Doug Hershey, who wrote the book Israel Rising, you know, they have yep. said this is a book that is timely. If you want to know the depth of the story, this is the kind of book that you need to read. And that was one of my motivations. So many people talk about 1948, and that is vitally important. But really, the beginnings go back way beyond that. And for the Zionist movement, it was in the 1880s uh, when it began, which ironically was also the decade that Harry Truman was born. So we follow both the birth and growth of Zionism and of Harry Truman until they come together when Truman is in that important place in the White House and he recognizes the modern rebirth of Israel. And, and look, the providence of God that he grows up, he's got a Jewish friend. And the Jewish friend gets him to, to meet with Chaim Weizmann, and the rest is, is history. Again, friends, the book by Craig von Busek, it is I Am Cyrus, Harry S. Truman, and the Rebirth of Israel. Thanks for all the effort and made this book have a great, great readership. Thank you, Dr. Brown. It's an honor to be with you. All right. Appreciate it. 
866-34-TRUTH. I might, I might be able to get to a call before we are done. But uh, let's just see. Let's get, give you our Patreon update. If you're not familiar with Patreon, this is a cooperative web service that allows you to partner with video producers to enable them to put out more content. We just launched this a few days ago. We've got our first 33 patrons. We'd like to have a, about 1,000. Ultimately, it'd be great to have more than that. But this is for you. This is enabling us to put out more and more videos, to get out more and more broadcasts like this, to put out more and more material that will serve you. That's our agenda, to serve you, to equip you. We are attacked from every front. I talked about some of it yesterday. So I'm not a victim. The more the attacks come, the more encouraged I am. The more the opposition comes, the more I know we're doing the right thing. By God's grace, we're standing strong. I, you know, a lot of folks, you send me wonderful words of encouragement, and I'm always thrilled to see the testimonies, but I appreciate them. Send the testimonies because we, we share them with our team, and they glorify the Lord, and we rejoice together. But I want you to know the Lord encourages me every day. I'm thrilled to be on the front lines. I'm, I'm thrilled for my head to be like the tip of a battering ram to take down these walls of opposition and resistance and to touch on a whole lot of issues that a lot of others won't touch on, but to touch on them with the love of God, with the compassion of Jesus, and not just in a bashing, angry way. But we do it with your help. So when, when this radio show is over today, I am immediately going to be recording the bonus video for this week. When you become a Patreon partner, put aside like 30, 35 cents a day, $10 a month. That's it. That's it. All right. If you have a, a Starbucks every day, whatever, that's dollars. If you have some other stuff, that's a lot of money. But it's like 30, 35 cents a day, $10 a month. You become a Patreon partner. So the first benefit is you enable us to put out more and more cutting edge video content, life changing, world impacting content. We're doing that together. That's the first benefit. And second, God will bless you for it in many different ways. But thirdly, we bless you as well with two bonus shows, two bonus shows. One of them will be about 30 minutes where I teach on a certain subject. I, I taught on, for example, understanding biblical languages and how I learned to study the Bible and then how to have a happy marriage and counsel for singles. And the one I'm about to do today is going to be how to discover your calling. All right. And then you also get our YouTube chats about an hour long where I just answer YouTube questions, a steady flood of questions that are posted. And then once the show's done, it's archived. So it's not available for public viewing. You get to watch that. So two bonus videos every single week. All right. So wouldn't it be great, you know, to be among the first 50 or 100 to think, yeah, when we've got like thousands of partners and patrons that you're among the first. So go to patreon.com forward slash ASKDR Brown, patreon.com forward slash ask Dr. Brown. And if you're watching on Facebook or YouTube, we've got that link up for you so you can just click on it and and we're just we're just rejoicing not for the money but for the help because the money just goes into video production again we're a nonprofit, so the money that comes in goes right back into expanding our staff and our team to and, and taking more of my time to put more of these videos out so we just smile each time you know you think dr brown you're reaching millions of people every week yeah we are by god's grace we're reaching millions of people but every, every testimony we rejoice in, every new supporter we rejoice in. And look, how many people do you know that are confronting anti-Semitism? Trust me, it, it gets ugly the moment you do. With one hand, confronting anti-Semitism, especially where it rises in the church. 
And then at the same time, reaching out to the Jewish people and saying, you need Jesus. And at the same time, pushing back against the culture that's increasingly losing its mind and standing for revival in the nation. We're doing it all with these videos that we're putting out together. So thank you. All right, Israel. Next year, next year, this is the first time we're going two straight years. We've gone every other year, but this last trip I felt so good about. We get such amazing responses. May 11th to 20th, put it on your calendar. May 11th to 20th. I believe we've got the info on our website now, if not any day now. It will be our, what, fourth trip. But here's what we do that's special. And don't worry about safety and all that. You'll be blessed where we go. All right, don't even think twice about that. But what we do is we've got great tour guides that, I mean, fabulous. You'll love them just step by step. And we're limiting numbers just to 100 people. So it's, it's really an intimate time because we're together for like nine days, 10 days, okay? Meals together, tour group together. So you go out with the tour guides during the day. And then at select sites, I'll do teaching as well, okay? So I'll be like at Mount Carmel where Elijah calls down fire from heaven or doing something special at the River Jordan before we do baptisms. And, and then having dinner with you every night, sitting at different tables, hanging out. And then every night we do Q&A with you or I'll share some things in the Word or we'll do a live radio broadcast. So you, you get to be part of that. That's why we call it Holy Fire in the Holy Land. Before we even announced it, we've had people signing up. So join us. It is the trip of a lifetime. And May is an awesome time to go. Hope, hope we get to see you there next year in the land. All right, friends, tomorrow you've got questions, we've got answers. Can't wait to be with you. And don't forget, patreon.com. Join our team.